This is for the younger ones. What if you had some really good news to share? So let's just say um, maybe you got the letter in the mail that said you had been accepted into space camp and the space camp is on the moon. Yay. I don't like space. <laughs> well, what if you got a letter in the mail that said you had been uh, selected to receive a pony? That would be fun. I'm sure you have enough room in your living room for a pony, right? No, we're going to meet the horse. Well, one of those little tiny ones, you know, those the miniature ponies. So, well, the point is, what if you got some really good news and you wanted to tell somebody about it? What are the ways that you would tell others about your good news? Well, if I got a pony, I would just scream and yell and scream and yell and tell my mom and tell my dad. Pretty sure they're all righty then. So, you know, there, there are a lot of ways to tell someone or share good news. So, you know, you can write a letter. That's kind of the old fashioned way, but it works. Sometimes people like to send emails. That's a little faster. Sometimes you can um, just tell people face to face when you see them. Uh, whenever you see them. So things in person. You can pick up the phone. You can give people a call, right? A lot of different ways to tell people what good things are happening in your life. So here's another question. If we think about the message of Jesus as being good news, and it is. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. So if we have good news about Jesus, what are some of the ways that we're going to share that good news with everybody? Good news from Jesus. Say it again. Good news from Jesus. Sure. We, we can, you know, all the ways that we said before, we can still share the good news of Jesus with letters, with emails. I send about two or three every week to people. And then um, we can uh, have phone calls. We can do a lot of things. The good news of Jesus is also shared through television. Sometimes there are churches on television. Sometimes it's over the internet, like on Zoom, like we're doing now. Um, sometimes it's through music. And sometimes the music, if you remember the beautiful music that our choir used to sing every week, and I can't wait to get the choir back. But sometimes it isn't even with the words. Sometimes when Tom plays the organ or the piano, or Barbara has her cello, or Elizabeth has her flute. Just the beautiful music has this wonderful message, I think, underlying it of God's love for us and how God is
present in time and space and music and our company with each other. So there are a lot of ways to share good news. Do you know probably the best passage of the Bible that talks about how much God loves us? It's from the Gospel of John, and that's where our message comes from today. So maybe you know this from memory. For God so loved the world that God gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so that's a good message. It's a good reminder that God really does love us, every one of us for all time and in every place, no matter who we are or what we've done or what we haven't done, God is always gonna be with us, always showing us love forever and ever and ever. So the gospel lesson we had today, and, and Francis, thank you for reading uh, the uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament lessons, but the gospel story about Nathaniel reminds us that it's important for us to tell the story as much as we can and in every way we can that God loves us so very much. So this is our prayer. Creator God, open our ears so that we can always hear the good news of your love for us and open our hearts and our ways to communicate so that we can share that news with others. Amen. Amen. And then for the rest of us, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. The story in John's Gospel of Philip inviting Nathaniel to come and see is an unusual story in some ways, maybe even an odd story. And that shouldn't surprise us because many of us think of John's gospel as kind of an unusual or odd gospel to begin with. Uh, it's a beautiful one for sure, but it's not like the other three gospels. And for one thing, John curiously does not inform his readers about the purpose of his book until the end of the book. Most writers tip their hands on the very first page. They might say something like, this book is an exploration of the causes of the American Revolution. Or they might say, in the chapters that follow, the reader will be introduced to the principles of basic physics. But John waits until the end of his book. He waits until we've read 20 chapters full of fascinating stories and incidences like Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well or Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 or Jesus on trial before Pilate. We have the story of his crucifixion. We have stories of the disciples and other believers in Jesus with him after he had risen from the dead. And then 
he tells us what his book has been about. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. The reason for John's odd literary behavior, the reason why he makes us wait so long before showing us all of his cards, is that John understands well what it takes for some people to come to belief. John wrote his gospel so that people would be able to believe, but he knows that all people do not come to belief in Christ in the same ways or in the same timing as maybe they come to understand and accept and believe other truths, like the fact that it was excessive taxation that was a primary cause of the Revolutionary War, or that Ohm's law is a trustworthy measure of electrical resistance. People come to faith in Jesus Christ most often by being drawn into the story of Jesus and into the community that gathers in the name of Jesus. Like Samuel in the temple, we don't always instantly recognize the claim that God has upon our lives. It takes time and it demands a testing of our experience in the context where others are around us. And only when we have experienced the story of Jesus by listening to it, lovingly told by the church, gradually learn to make it our own story and slowly begun to see ourselves and the world in its light, can we truly say, I believe. Full and authentic believing comes in other words, at the end of our journey and not at the beginning. And this is part of the message of this unusual story about Nathaniel. The story begins with Philip, who had already been called as a disciple of Jesus, telling Nathaniel about his own faith in Jesus. We have found him, said Philip, of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now today we might call what Philip did witnessing or evangelizing. It was as if Philip had turned to Nathaniel in the office and said, brother, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Or if he leaned over to Nathaniel on an airplane and handed him a religious tract and said, here, read this. Some Christians think that this kind of witnessing is all there is to it. They know they should witness, they do what they can, and then they quickly get out of the situation. They wanna tell people about Jesus and hope then that they'll accept it. But John knows that there is more much more 
involved in coming to belief. Church history teaches us, as Lutheran theologian George Lindbeck has noted, that early converts to Christianity did not, for the most part, understand and believe the gospel and then decide to become part of the church. They did, in fact, just the reverse. They were first attracted to this Christian community that was gathering, and only then, by living the lifestyle of the community, did they grow to believe. That's why when Nathaniel scoffs at Philip's witness by saying, what good can come out of Nazareth, Philip doesn't turn away dejected. Rather, he invites Nathaniel to come and see. Careful readers of John's gospel will recognize that this word to Nathaniel is more than an invitation to come and look. In John's vocabulary, come and see means come and live, come and experience, come and be a part of this community of Jesus. So Nathaniel does come, and it is then and only then, there and only there, that Nathaniel comes to believe. Picture a downtown church complete with a soup kitchen providing a simple lunch each day for the homeless of the city. Volunteers from the congregation come daily to make and serve the sandwiches, to ladle the soup, and to pour the coffee. And they provide hospitality for the people of the street. A woman who worked downtown who was also concerned about the large number of homeless in the city, decided that she would volunteer there one day a week on her lunch hour. She was not a believer, but she took her place in the serving line, standing beside the members of the congregation as they worked to feed the hungry. No one tried to convert her per se, no one read from the Bible. No one gave her a tract. They just worked alongside her, serving others in the name of Jesus. And then one Sunday, she appeared at worship. A few weeks later, there she was again, and then more regularly until one day she asked to be instructed for baptism. Often when I was the night minister, people would ask me about the ministry. What do you do? Where do you go? And so I would always make the invitation to have people walk out with me for part of the night. A few would take me up on that offer, and I can guarantee you that they learned so much more and learned vividly about what night ministry did and about who it served, and about the impact that we had on many lives and on the city of San Francisco, much more so than people who maybe heard one of my temple talks on a Sunday morning or took one of our flyers, looked it over, and then threw it in the trash. 
or this thought. Most of us were baptized as infants, I'm guessing. So how did we begin to grow in faith and understand our place in the reign of God? Well, probably from being taught by parents and sponsors and grandparents, other church members, Sunday school teachers, by listening to sermons, I hope, reading scripture, and watching other people change maybe in their own life or watching other people as they found a place through a congregation to serve those in need. Perhaps as we think about the future of Christ Church Lutheran, and there is going to be a lot of thinking in the days ahead about what is next, we think about how we can provide programs that offer the opportunity for people to see us doing what it is that God is calling us to do. And maybe as others watch us, they will be drawn to come and see more and maybe even believe. How do people come to believe? John knows well by coming and seeing, by responding to the open invitation which every true Christian community gives to all who will hear, an invitation that doesn't demand that people believe in the beginning of the journey, but beckons to them to join in the process by rolling up their sleeves and pitching in as the community serves others in Christ's name. For it is there in the community, in the being together, in the learning and serving that they will encounter the living Christ in their own lives. And then they too will find life in his name. Amen.